you know, not all of our students are successful in the traditional school environment. And, and our focus maybe needs to be less on how to fit them in and more about how to, uh, like you say, meet them where they're at and just give them the platform that they need to find that success. The pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and I'm with my co-host, Elizabeth Tingle. Welcome to our series, Conversations on School Health, a holistic look at maximizing the health and well-being of students and teachers. This series is a collaboration between the Workland School of Education at the University of Calgary and EverActive Schools. Each episode, we speak with a different leader in their field about topics that impact student and teacher well-being. And right now we're going to delve into best practices around schools as environments for well-being. And Elizabeth and I are going to have the opportunity to chat with each other and interview each other about our experiences as educators and about the potential for school environments as places for student wellness and well-being. Yeah. And in particular, we're going to talk about how alternative programs and leadership opportunities can be a way for student well-being to improve because we've had some unique experiences around that. So I'm excited to share and talk to you. It's weird interviewing the interviewer. Right. I, I, <laughs> I'm excited about this because I know we've been talking with other folks for so long. And now this is an opportunity for us to connect with each other and, and pull some of these strings together from these other conversations as well. But let's start with talking about our habits for well-being, because we've been asking everyone at the beginning of their interviews, what do you do? But we got to come clean ourselves. Of so, course. Jamie, <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> what are your habits for taking care of your own well-being? What have you found that works for you? You know, uh, every time I ask other folks this, I think they have way more interesting answers than I would have. But I, I think for me, I can say, and it's funny, as I'm speaking to you right now, my one of my cats is trying to kind of get up in my space. And <laughs> I would I would credit, you know, some of my wellness coming from my two cats and just having downtime with my partner and my two cats, laughing with friends and family, just those relationship pieces, I think are really important. And also these days, you know, taking downtime away from screens, getting outside to look at the lights, to look at the moon, all of that fun stuff in the evenings. I like to ride my bike during the summer. And I like to, you know, cook and be active and kind of putter around the house as well. So those I know are not super exciting ways. Uh, <laughs> and it's just finding, uh, yeah, finding the value in those day to day mm -hmm. things. Um, how about you, Elizabeth? What are what are the habits you rely on to take care of your well-being? Well, if it's while I'm listening to a podcast, it's usually walking, sometimes mm. riding my bike. I remember hearing you in one interview saying that you cooked sometimes oh, yeah. when you do podcasts. Yeah. That's like too advanced for me. <laughs> <laughs> like I've done that before and I and I miss ingredients. <laughs> So I think I'm not a very good listener. So all I can focus on is like putting one foot in front yeah, of the other. <laughs> but totally fair. But I love I love going out for you know my daily constitutional on a podcast. That's introversion, outside time, thinking about something different, and exercise all in one. So that's a good habit for me. And then things that I do that aren't podcast compatible. I love playing the piano. It relaxes oh, wow. me. I'm, I'm not good, <laughs> but um, it just kind of is meditative, and I love that. And this is going to sound like the most language arts teacher <laughs> answer, but <laughs> I have found that writing in my journal really mm. helps me mentally and emotionally to sort of distance myself from emotions that are catching me off guard. And then the other thing is reading fiction. Oh. The more stressful my life gets, the more I need that escape into fiction. So 
there's been a lot of book reading lately oh, <laughs> this last year. I believe it. So, yeah. Yeah, those, those are my go-tos. Oh, that's awesome. I like your English language teacher answers. <laughs> your, your your interests are coming through. But I think that's so important because, you know, even for, for those of our listeners who are still in school, sometimes you know, reading textbooks and, and reading readings for, for coursework can take the fun out of it. And so you really have to take that time to just get into some good fiction or bad fiction. Yes. If that's your jam, yeah. you know? <laughs> just escape. Exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you for sharing. And maybe I'll get us started with that first question, which is, you know, what's your favorite part of teaching and being a teacher? I love having a front row seat to seeing people just grow as individuals. And you see this a lot with kids because they're just going through so much change. But, you know, whether it's the new Canadian who has they become more confident in their language skills, you see more of their personality and you see them interacting with their peers and just being more happy. Like I love seeing that transformation. What my favorite grades to teach are grades seven and 10. And I think it's because those are the newbies. I call them schmeekers because <laughs> they're just kind of overwhelmed by yeah. all that's new in either junior high or senior high. And I love seeing them figure it out and start to see themselves as like, I got this, I'm capable. And I know that a lot of those changes would happen without me as their teacher, but I like being a witness to that. Like it yeah. just, it's really energizing and it makes me hopeful about life in general, seeing that growth so regularly in students. How about you, Jamie? What's your favorite part of being a teacher? Um, well, I think that the fact that you mentioned um, grade seven and grade 10 as the grades that you like to teach the most, I think most of my career has been spent in junior high and it's for that reason, I think is like, there's a lot that's going on in young people's lives. And mm -hmm. to be there and to be a caring adult, and to be a support for folks when you know, there's a lot going on, and it feels out of control. Speaking from my own experiences as a junior high student, that time is hard. It is hard to yeah. be a young human during that time. And so to be someone who can support those folks to be a caring adult, to witness that growth, to celebrate that growth, I really appreciate. And I think I'm also looking for an opportunity to be a person that I needed when I was trying to get through school, you know, like mm -hmm. that person who just helps you get through the day. Like you talk about your experiences in university about having a teacher who was just so jazzed to be mm -hmm. in that environment and so excited. And I think for me, that's also really motivating. And I find, I didn't think this when I was in school to be a teacher, but I find that being a teacher offers opportunities for creativity and fun, even amidst the challenging parts of the job. It's such a unique work environment that uh, no day is the same and every day is like engaging uh, and unique and exciting in different ways. Totally. You get to use your creative muscles every day and there's a lot of I don't want to say power, but you, you do have a lot of scope to mm -hmm. um, like today we're going to do this or, yeah. you know, of course you're following the curriculum, but there really is a lot of different ways that you can go with it. And you're right. I, I really like that part of it too. For sure. So for this conversation, I want to talk about how schools can be a place for students to improve their well-being. I think schools offer students so many ways to forge an identity and build skills. It's where they learn how to socialize and serve others, sometimes through leadership roles. And all of those can build their confidence and self-esteem and resiliency. Schools are, of course, about academics, but it's also about so much more. And it's the more, the extras that go alongside those, you know, 
LA Math, Social Science, Phys Ed that can foster so much growth for students. And you and I have seen students who have experienced dramatic transformations for the good due to an innovative school program or service opportunity at school. You know, I think you draw attention to something that invites us to shift our paradigms around what school is for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that school, like you said, is about academics, but we often think about the core of school being the academic part. And then, you know, everything else is nice, but it's not like core to what school is. And mm-hmm. I think that there are so many possibilities in shifting that paradigm and in recognizing that it's not core and these extras, but it's the importance for both. Like school is so much about just learning how to be a human in the world. And you can't learn that through textbooks per se Mm -hmm. or at least I haven't I haven't learned that through textbooks I think it takes so much more than than that and there's possibilities um, that emerge when students see themselves in their community they see themselves in the stories and the histories that they learn they have these opportunities to connect with each other in ways and have supportive adults who are there for them and they know that they're there for them And it's so important for them to have outlets for their interests, you know, ways to learn new skills or activities through clubs, ways to find belonging, to play and to have fun. And I think there are ways in which our teaching practices can really support all of these different avenues. One of those ways is really looking at innovative school programming and different opportunities through school. And I think sometimes it's really hard to take that up in our practice when we exist in school environments that are so like norm heavy. I think the opportunities for transformation can come from shifting those norms and shifting the paradigms, offering a different way of doing things, challenging the ways that we do things and how effective they are. There's so much rich learning that can come from just breaking down those walls. We're going to try things that have huge impact for our students. Mm-hmm. And it's hard sometimes to break the mold in education. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really bound by tradition as a profession, partly because it's the only job that I think people have had so much experience essentially shadowing <laughs> their yes. entire lives, right? You're, you're watching a teacher from grades K to 12, unless you've been in a, maybe a homeschooling environment. Mm-hmm. And so we arrive as teachers with all of those experiences and expectations and traditions that I think, you know, maybe if we went into engineering, we wouldn't have, we could, we could be a little more open-minded, but mm-hmm. you have been working in some really interesting programs lately. You've had the rare privilege of teaching high school out of Calgary's beautiful downtown library. Can you share a little bit about that program? Um, and the unique partnerships that allowed for it to take place? I will say that I landed in what what feels like a dream job, teaching a program called Recreational Leadership. And the focus of the learning, although the name Recreation is in it, really the focus of the learning uh, was around training, certification, and CTS and work experience credit opportunities to prepare for employment, not only in the fields of recreation, but in human services more broadly. So I really lucked out to be a teacher who was able to take up Uh, leadership of this program that was created and designed in partnership between the City of Calgary, Everactive Schools, uh, the Calgary Board of Education, and then the Calgary Public Library as well. So our course ran for three semesters out of the beautiful Central Library in downtown Calgary, which if you haven't been there, I encourage you to Google it or, you know, when, when things change, go visit it, see it in person. It's like a temple for books. It's so beautiful. (laughs) It's so beautiful. And it's just 
Uh, yeah, it's such a transformative place. I love it. But yeah, the learning experiences for this program were so rich because of those partnerships, because of the ways that those organizations came together and leveraged their uh, facilities, their uh, staff, leveraged funding to really come together and support this holistic learning for students. So students uh, throughout the term were able to engage in so much rich learning around things like workplace safety, leadership skills more broadly, how to create a play that's that's inclusive. They were able to volunteer within the community, learn from knowledge keepers around Indigenous traditional games. Uh, and then they also earned a ton of credits and were certificated in first aid, high five, uh, in the City of Calgary's lead program, to name a few. So it was a bit of a, a jackpot for me, but I also think for these young people, it was a really valuable learning opportunity that was intended around their current and future success and employability. And again, leveraged all of the strengths from each of the partner organizations and other organizations like the Youth Employment Center to really give hands-on um, and real-world experience and opportunities for students as they transition from high school into post-secondary and into the workforce. I think this is such a great program because it's hitting so many boxes for both you know, all the organizations involved, obviously it's a great project, but for these students, it's giving them credit, it's giving them training, it's giving them connections to get summer jobs and maybe work afterwards. Like it's just really setting them up for success. And I think it would be hard to replicate all of those connections in a typical high school setting. Mm -hmm. There's something about taking it off campus. I think that kind of like we can do things different here. <laughs> oh, totally. And I think those those pieces exist kind of like on their own, maybe in schools already. Mm -hmm. But to have the the community partnerships to bring it all together in one place just made it that much more powerful. Yeah. And how do you think this program improved your students' well-being? What kind of changes did you see in them as they learn together every day in this different environment and had all these work and volunteer opportunities? Well, it's interesting because uh, a huge part of our work was community building. So with this program, this off-campus program, which Calgary Board of Education uh, runs a number of these different off-campus off learning opportunities, students were coming from schools all across the city. So uh, they didn't know each other. Some of them did. Some of them came with friends. But for the most part, we came together in this place. And it was a bit of a fresh slate, I think, for all of us. And it was even that, the way that opportunity was framed, allowed us to uh, intentionally build community together. Mm -hmm. So through that intentional community building, students, you know, talked about how they built relationships, connections and friendships in ways that they wouldn't have otherwise. And that one piece as part of the broader learning also contributed to, you know, positive sense of self, improved confidence and more. And that those pieces were shared out in the program evaluations that students completed. Uh, but they really appreciated, you know, opportunities to lead or to understand leadership differently. Like leadership is more than just the person in charge or the person who is calling the shots. But through participating in leadership groups, they found opportunities to find their own voice and then also 
try things that they might not otherwise try in their existing school environments. And so in doing that, they could see their own success through different volunteer opportunities like leading children's programming. For some students, they'd never done anything like that before. And it was an opportunity for them to like put themselves in that environment, see their successes, and then also be able to ask for help and support when when it wasn't so easy or when they came across things that they didn't anticipate. And then we also saw academic success as an outcome as well, with you know students finding that the assessment was a bit more accessible. I mean, it was a work experience program, so a lot of our assessment was performance-based and having students try things, give each other feedback, and having that constant feedback loop, I think, was also really helpful without the same kind of expectations around paper and pencil assessment that might be in traditional school environments. Mm -hmm. And then um, one of the things that students also talked about was public speaking, which this was not really a public speaking course, but, you know, the nature of of developing leadership skills and developing skills for collaboration means that uh, you have these opportunities to practice speaking with and amongst others. And then this really translated into students finding their voice. And there were quite a few of them who talked about, you know, I can ask for what I need now. I can I can advocate for myself now in ways that I didn't otherwise. And some students share that they would do that in their homeschool. And one student said, after this course and, and you know, finding a bit of my voice, I was able to ask for some changes to my math IPP so that I could be more successful in, in math in school and get what I need now that I know what works for me. So All of these pieces, I think, really connect to well-being in that kind of holistic sense. We were able to see that when, you know, students have opportunities to create belonging, have opportunities for leadership to try new things and contribute to a learning community more broadly. All of these pieces come together in terms of academic success, sense of self, and yeah, performance in that environment. Yeah, I think that really speaks to how multidimensional well-being is and that when we have opportunities to grow socially or in terms of our skills, that that improves our overall well-being. Like we need challenge to grow from and that that improves our our sense of self and identity. Um, I love that story of the student feeling more empowered to advocate for themselves after taking the course and learning more. Absolutely. And just another side note, too, I think maybe this just made me think of something else about how, you know, for high school students, there's a lot of pressure about what comes next. And sometimes that pressure does not come with the same support. Mm -hmm. So the way that we offered even just the employability support, I think for some students made them realize like, yeah, I can do this. I can get to this next step uh, outside of high school. And I'm not alone in this. I can learn and develop these skills. And one of our students who uh, had had troubles with reading, and this really affected their ability to participate in academic opportunities, and for them made them think that post-secondary was not an option, and even made them question if they would ever be able to be in a workplace throughout this course and throughout the opportunities to lead with their strengths, which was, you know, speaking and talking as opposed to writing and reading, Mm -hmm. they were able to, they eventually got employment and they were able in their employment environment to ask for the supports and accommodations that they needed to be successful and to not have to be limited by requirements around 
um, reading on your own or writing on your own without having additional support to, to facilitate that. So I just thought that that was also an important piece because I think as our listeners in service and pre-service teachers know that you know, when you come to a classroom environment, whether it's in a traditional school or outside of a traditional school, our learners are so different mm-hmm. and success will look different. And we have to open up possibilities for success to take more than one form. Oh, that's that's life changing that that person could see hope and, a, and like a path for their future based on the skill development that they saw. That's that's such a great story of someone feeling like, okay, I can do this. I know what's next now. Mm-hmm. Love that. Okay. You and your students actually have been in the media recently for a project that they collaborated on, Joy for All. Can you share uh, what this project is about and how it all started? This is the part where you get to brag, Jamie, about your students <laughs> and what they created because it's amazing. I still, yeah, I still tell people it feels like a bit of a fever dream because... <laughs> Because it's happened during COVID, it doesn't it doesn't entirely feel real. However, I think it really speaks to youth creativity and opportunities and possibilities when you give youth more of a voice in the classroom and opportunities to kind of steer their learning. So the volunteer experience is a core component of the learning and recreational leadership for credit and then also for certification. In the past, these volunteer opportunities have included hosting spring break programs at the library volunteering at Calgary's Jumpstart Games uh, and the Resiliency Summit. So all of these kind of opportunities where we come to a place and we support the events that are going on. Mm -hmm. So this year we were prepared to do spring break programming again uh, when, of course, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And I think it hit like the week before spring break or the Friday before spring break. So interestingly enough, despite all of the, the stress and the concern one of the first things that students reached out to me about was the volunteer opportunity because they had been so excited to do the volunteer opportunity and plan those programs. And so they were like, you know, obviously we're not going to do this, but can we still volunteer? Can we still do this? What does this look like? And that led us to really think about what could be possible and how we could ensure that our students still got a rich learning experience, even though now we were doing our learning from home, which, you know, the the heart of our program was about being in person and doing this in a really active way. So that really challenged us and our partners as we thought about doing things differently. Then a friend of Everactive Schools indicated that seniors in particular were, were feeling the effects of the isolation. And our director phoned me one day and said, you've got these students in leadership. Is there anything you think that they could do that might find a way to support like could they create a resource or something like this friend of his had said uh, my mom is in long-term care and she just wants to laugh like we just need laughter right now Mm -hmm. so after reflection after that conversation and collaboration with our group we put our heads together and kind of came up with an unconventional idea of creating a phone hotline so We were thinking we're all at home, we have access to computers, but we want to find ways to connect with people. It's really difficult for all of us to do in separate places at home. But if we had a phone hotline where we had pre-recorded messages, then anybody could call in and anybody could feel that kind of connection, listen to jokes, stories, anything. And even though we couldn't have those one-to-one conversations, we still wanted to create that feeling of, you know, when like kids call their grandparents or people call their parents in long-term care and kind of talk about their experiences or share things. And ultimately, again, we wanted to bring that sentiment of humor and levity during those times. Mm -hmm. So I honestly don't know how it happened, (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but we we caught some media attention locally, and then that was picked up in the states. And before we knew it, we were featured on media around the world with students speaking on radio and on television, with CBC, with BBC, like British Broadcasting, <laughs> um, wh- which is unbelievable. <laughs> and, and then we also had articles written in CNN and Fox News, if you can believe it. And <laughs> it just, it didn't make sense, but <laughs> people were excited. And I think it really showed that like people weren't just excited about these moments of lightness in in really challenging times, but also the youth taking the lead. I think that's what people were really excited about was like, wow, look at what these students did. Yeah. Um, Turning such a bad situation into yeah. a way to help other people. And, you know, finding ways to be involved, even if they were limited by their restrictions and by just the nature of being a young person, you know, sometimes your ways of helping are are limited Mm -hmm. because you maybe can't donate the same way or you don't have the same ability to support that, that some adults do. So. Yeah. And how did this volunteering and helping seniors, how did that affect the students to be involved in the project? And, and did it help your well-being too? I'm wondering. Absolutely. I think, it was so important for all of us. For me, it was helpful because I had felt a sense of loss not being able to offer the same opportunities to students. Mm-hmm. But more so for the students, they spoke about giving them purpose, hope, giving them a feeling of agency. I think most of them just really remarked on how they were able to have an impact. They were like, look at what we're doing. Like people are paying attention to what we're doing. Holy smokes. Yeah. Like we're actually helping people and we can see that. So aside aside from those feelings too, you know, they shared that this project helped them to develop really important skills. For instance, me- we didn't we didn't know media training would somehow be a skill that we would have to <laughs> to come up with as part of this course, but so many of the students who spoke on radio, on TV, in interviews spoke about their confidence in speaking and public speaking and made, it made them feel like they were having an impact and that they could also encourage other people to have that impact as well. Yeah. So you know, it wasn't perfect for all students. And I will say that, you know, throughout this, we've been so excited about the learning opportunity. For some students, I think it was really hard to abruptly transition to the online learning. And so it was for some, you know, some folks just didn't have the capacity to participate in the same way. But at least with this project too, everybody was able to be involved in a way that felt good for them. So some people just found content to be recorded. Some people spoke and recorded. Other folks worked on the website. Some folks did social media. So there was just so many opportunities to try and meet people where they were at. And it was really helpful to make the most of it. And I think the one the one thing that I forgot to mention that is a really exciting part about this experience was when we ended up, some of our students ended up being featured in a Cadbury commercial. I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah. So like Cadbury, the chocolate company, yeah. um, reached out to, uh, as part of their campaign, I guess, to kind of highlight the many different community-based initiatives that were taking place across the uh, country, sorry, in response to COVID. And so they came to Calgary and did like, I think we're only maybe two or three seconds in the commercial, but they featured us alongside some other uh, organizations that were giving back, which was wild. So <laughs> so some students have this, like they can put it on their on their resume that they were in a Cadbury commercial. 
Oh, so fun. And then we also, you know, got a chance to to share the project on the Late Late Show with James Corden. Okay. Uh, and a surprise guest appearance with Billy Crystal, who recorded jokes for us. And so we now have this beautiful record of Billy Crystal dad jokes <laughs> that we can we can share on the hotline um, for folks to come uh, call and listen to. And it's still up and running, right? The hotline? The hotline is still up and running. We have fewer volunteers who are working on it, but we're doing our best to make it work. And we recognize that now, you know, has come the time when uh, folks are relying on that again within the shifting yeah, public health measures. So still up and running and still totally youth led. Well, that is such an amazing and inspiring story of how giving students the opportunity to volunteer and make a difference really caught fire. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Of course. In the show notes, we'll post links so that people can learn more about Joy for All. Oh, that would be so helpful. And I so appreciate it. So, uh, you know, I've talked, Elizabeth, on and on about my experiences teaching in alternative environments. Uh, But I know that you have experience teaching outside of the traditional school environment as well. And as we've, you know, been talking a lot about how schools can be a place for student well-being, but that sometimes environments outside of the school can be a source for well-being for students. I'm curious about if you could share maybe some of the things that you've learned or noticed about how non-traditional school environments can support and embrace student wellness differently. Yeah, well, you may have gotten to teach high school in a library, but I got to teach high school in a mall. Not everybody (laughs) can say that. So (laughs) my first year of teaching was with a high school outreach with Edmonton Public Schools, and it was literally called The Learning Store. And it was right next to the Bay, um, second level (laughs) Londonderry Mall. And, And much like your recreation leadership program, this program was about reaching students where they were at. And this was a really eye-opening experience for me as a teacher. I had always taken for granted that I would go on to university. Like completing high school was not really a question for me. Mm-hmm. And I took for granted all of the supports in my life that made that more or less possible. You know, like when I left for school in the morning, I had breakfast and I had lunch or a lunch money and my parents bought me a bus pass and I had a job, but it was very part-time and I got to spend all the money that I earned from that job. Like Mm -hmm. there were lots of different factors that contributed to my ability to succeed in high school. In the comprehensive school health framework, we talk about the social determinants of health, but those social determinants also impact academic success. And of course, we don't see those, right? Mm Because it's just such a big part of the background. Yeah. But in this outreach program, I met students who had had a very different teenaged life than I had. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them had served time for committing crimes. And so they didn't want to go back to their traditional school, either because they didn't want to explain where they had been or because that was actually part of their moving forward in their life. They didn't want to reinsert themselves into relationships that had led to committing the crime in the first place. There were some students who had children in their teen years. And so either that pregnancy had really taken them off course, or they had decided to keep the child and they were juggling parenthood in addition to being a student. Some of them lived in families where their income was really needed to subsidize the family's well-being. And so they needed to work full time and work in school when they could in the evenings. And then there were some who had medical issues that just made going to school hard for them. So Mm -hmm. as I sat down with these students, like usually it was grade 11s and 12s, like something often would happen in their grade 10 year that 
took them off that traditional course that is planned for in the high school sequence. And so we would sit down and say like, okay, well, what courses do you have? And then we would look at what's required to get a diploma because that was their goal. They wanted to graduate and made them more employable. It opened up post-secondary options. That was always the goal. And it was then that I realized, oh, getting a high school diploma is a big deal. And especially if you're juggling all these other multiple responsibilities and experiences and stressors, it was a real eye-opening thing to realize how much of an accomplishment it is and how much has to really go right. And it was amazing to see some of these students completely change their lives and through the process of learning and accomplishing these goals through this alternative high school program, view themselves differently, like your students, like view their future differently. I'll never forget this one girl. She, I don't even know if she had any grade 10 credits. And in Alberta, there is this rule that the government will only pay for your high school credit courses. I think it's until you're 19 in September of that year. So I wish we had a system more like Manitoba. Manitoba, since around 2010, has uh, basically anyone who wants to complete high school level courses can do it for free because after 19, it's quite expensive. It's like sometimes three or $500 per course to upgrade or to get your course. And if you're working full time and maybe have a child and others are counting on you, that's a that's a big expense and it can really slow down your pace. So this girl came and she's like, I've got one year and I've got to get all of my courses. My goodness. <laughs> and we tried to like temper her expectations. We're like, that's a lot. I don't know if you're going to be yeah. able to complete 100 credits in all your courses in one year, but let's see how far you can yeah. get. And as the you know weeks went by and she just kept on completing all of her assignments, we're like, oh, wow. she's going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of the year, um, she did. She completed essentially three years worth of school wow. in one year. And I'll never forget when she wrote that last exam, the look on her face when oh she came goodness. out, all of us applauded and were cheering for yeah. her. And it was like all the teachers on the outreach had been a part of her success. And just witnessing this girl take charge, uh, it, was, it still gives me chills thinking about it because that opportunity made a difference in her life. It wasn't so much about us as just that I think she needed a different way to go to school. And yeah. I don't know if that would have happened if that opportunity hadn't been available for her. So those high school outreaches are meeting the needs of students who need high school the most. Absolutely. And where barriers exist in that traditional structure, like you, I don't, I don't think administrators in a traditional school setting would be like, yeah, you could finish, you know, 25 credit courses in the course of this year, like, here you go. No, like, I think that there are sometimes prohibitive structures in those environments that that make it difficult for students, when really, these flexible opportunities yeah. are what is needed to get these students to where they want to go. And it's not like it's being done for them. And I think your story indicates that. Like, I think mm -hmm. it indicates that outreach schools are not easier. It's not about getting rid of expectations or making it easier. That story just indicates how much more difficult that was, but that there was flexibility in the programming and there were not restrictions around the student. The student had had agency to have those pieces. So 
you know, not all of our students are successful in the traditional school environment. And, and our focus maybe needs to be less on how to fit them in and more about how to, uh, like you say, meet them where they're at and, and just give them the platform that they need to, to find that success. Yeah, one of the teaching opportunities that I had that was very alternative to a typical school was as a teacher facilitator for homeschooling families with the Edmonton Public School Board. And I saw in that model some powerful stories of transformation that I don't think would have been possible in a typical school environment because it could be so student-centered and tailored to their needs. Yeah. In Alberta, if you're homeschooling, you can decide as a parent how much of the Alberta curriculum you want to cover. And so my role varied depending on how much of the curriculum they were including in their students' plan. And people homeschool for different reasons, and consequently, homeschooling looks really different from family to family. But there were some students that I saw for whom this flexible, tailored approach made such a difference. I remember there was one girl in grade three who wasn't reading at grade level. And her mom was getting concerned because, of course, it affects every subject when you don't feel confident in reading. So she left her other children attending school and took her grade three daughter out and said, this year, we are just going to focus on getting at grade level in reading and learning to love reading because reading had become this source of frustration and embarrassment for her daughter. And so she and I made this program where we made sure that the language arts and math outcomes were covered, but that the science and social came more from the books that they were reading together so that that year she could really focus on being excited about reading and being curious about the things that she was reading. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the year, with all that support and choice, she was reading at grade level. And she was so proud of herself to mm -hmm. be able to show me the books that she could read. And she was feeling confident and ready to go back to school in the traditional setting, having had that year to really grow. Wow. And that confidence, uh, that confidence is so important because we see um, the impacts of like folks who struggle with reading and lack of confidence with reading. And when that comes up in junior high and high school, it's really challenging. And homeschooling is not just a great option for students who are academically vulnerable. It's also a good option for students who may be socially vulnerable, especially if a student has been the victim of really persistent bullying. Homeschooling can be a way to have a break from that. And this would happen, I saw it a few times with students in junior high. I was often assigned to the families that had junior high students. And I remember this one student, he was in grade nine. And the first time I met him, he didn't even really look at me or talk to me. He was so unsure of himself. I think he had had a really hard year or two before that. And as the year progressed in this alternative model for learning, every time I saw him, he grew a little bit more confident and just became more sure of himself. For his phys ed program, he had, of course, the freedom to pursue what he was most interested in. And he discovered that year that mountain biking was his sport. And he would go on these five hour long bike rides with his dad and wow. discovered that this was kind of a passion of his. And so by the end of the year, 
the way he carried himself and the way he talked, he was a completely different kid. You know, there are so many ways that alternative programs might be just what a student needs to benefit multiple dimensions of their well-being if we can have the flexibility to look beyond the traditional school model. It's such an important and viable option for families. We know that as teachers, it, like we do our, we do the best we can to individualize learning for all of our students. But there are always times when we just can't meet everybody's needs. And these students that you just spoke of, like the growth and learning that came out of just being with their family and having their family have your support to to take up that learning in ways that they needed. And and clearly, the success just speaks for itself. Yeah, and I wanted to share these experiences with the larger group because I think a lot of people don't know that there are so many different teaching jobs that look different than, you know, maybe what we saw as a student through the K to 12 context. Because I remember thinking when I started that job at the learning store that it kind of didn't count as a teacher because it looked so different. Like I wasn't at the front of a classroom of desks teaching. I was working one-on-one with students. And I grew to realize that teaching is not about the trappings of school. It's not about the blackboards and the desks and the building. It's about, I'm a person who wants to help students learn and grow. And that can happen anywhere. And I think there are these like imagined hierarchies sometimes in the teaching profession about what really counts as teaching. And I don't think it's helpful for anyone because there are teacher librarians and resource room teachers. And I know in your interview with Chris, he said that sometimes the word classroom teacher feels a little alienating to someone who is a physical education teacher who teaches in the gym or the music teacher or the drama teacher. Like we are all part of the same team, the substitute teachers. We could not, we have learned this year that we could not get by without substitute teaching. And I think sometimes, and especially for those starting out in the field, you might feel like substitute teaching is not what you had in mind. And I always find it inspiring when I talk with substitutes who love their work. And so I wanted to raise that because I think there are a lot of different ways to be a teacher and there are a lot of different people in various fields that lay claim to the title and identity of teacher. I agree. I think, yeah, like you've suggested, we need to broaden our understanding because we know that those those roles exist out there. And, you know, I've had friends and colleagues who've taught youth and adults within correctional facilities, and they loved their work because they could see how it transformed those lives in a very tangible way, which sometimes we don't always see in a traditional school environment or any teaching environment, right? Sometimes we, those uh, outcomes are, you know, come further down the road when those students aren't with us, but they just really loved reaching people who were limited by the carceral systems and and structures. And, you know, we know that there's folks who teach online, obviously now more than ever. There are teachers who facilitate community-based programming. One of my good friends from university ended up getting to do some curriculum planning at the TELUS Science Center, which was so cool. And I think there are so many opportunities and we need to recognize those possibilities, not only for ourselves, but you know, what the, what the impacts educators can have in those environments. And we do all belong in this profession. And we do need to get rid of these hierarchies that you spoke of, because we all play a role in this system. And, and the bigger the team, the better. 
And I think that one of the biggest things I've learned as an educator is that we need each other. You know, we we need to recognize the part that we can play as a support and as a cheerleader, not only for our students, but for our colleagues. We just really need to attend to building relationships with students like we should our colleagues, whether our colleagues work in the classroom in a, in a school or in the mall classroom at the outreach school or in different environments. We just really need to break down those barriers between us and just recognize that we're all a part of this really important system that is there to support students. Absolutely. And I know another way that schools can foster positive mental well-being for students is through leadership opportunities. And sometimes I think the word leadership is a little misleading. For me, it makes me think of like a go-getter student who's running for class president, but I don't think that's that covers it. So what do we really mean when we talk about school leadership? Yeah, I think that what we unintentionally construct comes maybe from just the practical sense as teachers, you know, like when we're looking for students to help us as leaders, we want people to maybe help us with events or help us with public speaking. Um, Maybe we want people who are really intrinsically motivated Mm -hmm. or academically inclined and for them to be involved in leadership wouldn't affect their grades. Like we really, I think, constructed in in these pragmatic ways Mm -hmm. and unintentionally we then limit it to like you say, like the go-getters or the keeners who are leaders. But I think and this is kind of how we've approached it in the recreational leadership course, is that leadership is really about community building, being in a community and and being a member of a community. And so in this way, leadership is about recognizing our strengths, building on them. Mm -hmm. It's about connecting with other people and working with other people, knowing that their strengths are going to make our strengths that much better. And it's highly relational. And so when we think about leader as like singular, that, that is totally the opposite of what leadership actually is because the people that we consider are leaders are the people who can collaborate and communicate with other people. And they're not just the folks who are out front, but leadership has so many different iterations and we see it showing up as advocacy, as behind the scenes work. For example, when I used to support Gay Straight Alliance and Queer Straight Alliance students in schools, like they were not students who were active and visible in the school environment. They wanted to be a small community that was, you know, not seen per se. But their advocacy behind the scenes had led to changes in how dress codes were monitored in the school environment. So their leadership was like not visible, but it did lead to actual change. And it it came out of them working together, identifying their strengths, identifying areas of need for their particular community, and then finding avenues to communicate that led to real tangible change. Such a good example. And I feel like it's almost like school, like I view leadership as school supported volunteer opportunities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and we know from the research that when people have the opportunity to serve and help others, that they will feel better. So that's why I almost feel like we should call it helpership instead of yes. leadership. Because <laughs> Absolutely. that's what we're doing is we're, we're allowing students to help their school community in the ways that mm-hmm. they feel strongly about and There's just so much potential that's unleashed when students are invited to do that. And that I think that helpership is like really so tied to their sense of belonging, which we know is also really important. Like that sense of belonging is crucial for how they show up in the school environment and perform academically. So that it is helpership and just recognizing we call it leadership, but it's just recognizing like, hey, we all share this space uh, community and, and let's figure out how we can be a part of it in different ways. Yeah. And I think remembering the why for all of these extras that are in a school can help 
us as teachers to be more invested and energized by them. Like it's not just this extra that we have to do. It's like, this might be the thing that really changes a student's path or that gets them really excited or helps them to find the thing that they really care about. And that's just so much more motivating for me to pitch in when I think of it that way. Absolutely. And it's interesting because when you talk about students and even when like we reflect on our own educational experiences, I'm sure most of the time the we're speaking about the opportunities that were not necessarily like tied to a grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I was academically successful in high school, but I remember my experiences in band class, um, playing sports, you know, doing different school leadership things. It was like everything but <laughs> the, the learning. Like we speak to those opportunities that help us, helped us come into ourselves and find ourselves and find place, people, And those are the things that are really like we were talking about early, like when we talk about core learning, like that is core learning that has has stuck with me to this day, those experiences. So you're right. It's it's not about those extras, but it's about like this is such an important part of school and well-being is opportunities to find self and sense of sense of belonging. Absolutely. I think maybe I'll end with a story because I think it's a a cool opportunity when I taught in Musquachis. My colleague who was like the music teacher, his name is Garvey, one of the coolest, best humans in this world. And I'm not sure if you would remember me now, but this is a shout out, Garvey, if you're listening, like this has stuck with me. One of the things that he did, so in Musquachis, the community was formerly called Hobima, which I believe is like the settler colonizer term. It's it's now they've reclaimed the name Musquachis. But he used to, to host what he called Hobima School of Rock. And the the band room the music room was open before school at lunchtime and after school and kids would just get in there and like play music and you'd hear people like thumping on the drums and playing guitar and bass and all of this stuff and he was like right there with them he created this whole thing i think they even had like a youtube channel where they would play music together and it just created such a culture of support for those students and it's stuff like that that impacted me and my like seeing my colleagues do stuff like that impacted me in my own career. And I think it's just like another opportunity where we can rethink the use of space to explore those opportunities outside of that structured time because magical things can come out of that. So I think that's one story I thought would be important to just kind of share. Oh, I love that. I want to I want to hear the music that they create (laughs) group. That's so fun. Yeah. And I bet for some students, you know, one of the best parts of their day would would have been part of that. So Oh, yeah, totally. Thank you for sharing those. Is there anything else you want to say to, to close us out? Yeah, so we've talked about a bunch of things. It's a little bit of a mixed bag, but we wanted to share our experiences in these alternative environments and these different leadership programs to show how student well-being can be improved by these other things that happen at school or the schools that look a little different than a traditional bricks and mortar school. And yeah, hopefully these have been inspiring for some of you out there to see these opportunities a little differently. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Elizabeth, for this conversation uh, as we've kind of interviewed each other uh, <laughs> in, in, a, in a bit of a change for, for this podcast. It's been fun. Thanks for joining us for another Conversation on School Health, a series collaboration between the Workland School of Education and Everactive Schools. 
A thank you to Matthew Wood for composing and performing the theme music, and a special thank you to Stephen Hurley from Voice Ed Radio for production assistance and sound editing. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EverActiveAB, on Facebook at Everactive Schools, or visit our website everactive.org for more great content and resources. Until next time, the podcast is dismissed. Thank you.